Let's look in Luke chapter 22, no, chapter 23, Luke chapter 23, and we're going to begin reading in uh, verse 36. We're going to consider a topic here, the faith of a thief, out of uh, Luke chapter 23, and we'll begin reading in verse 36. The soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar, and saying, If thou be king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription also was written uh, over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. One of the malefactors, uh, which were hanged, railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost thou not fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? We indeed justly, for we receive the due reward for our deeds, but this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for uh, the truth that's in the word of God. Thank you, Lord, that our faith in Christ uh, is very simple. Uh, we come as a child believing uh, the scriptures and trusting in the sacrifice of Christ. And because of that, we're able to be forgiven and set free of out of the bondage of all of our sin and know that we be assured of the fact that we have a home in heaven. I prayed we might be able to learn some things about faith this morning as we consider this thief hanging on the cross, his faith he had in Christ. And Lord, I would pray if there's someone here this morning who's never been saved, uh, I pray they might come to know Christ as their Savior today. And may each of us that are born again rejoice in the, the simplicity of Christ. And Lord, be challenged to take the gospel message, the good news that Jesus saves out to others who have never heard. And I pray that the Holy Spirit have his free will and way in each of our lives this morning. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Our text verse is verse 42. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Uh, the faith of a thief. I was out soul winning yesterday. Uh, Mark and I went out and uh, uh, 35 years of soul winning. I never had anyone respond like they, this one lady did. I knocked on the door. And I said, how you doing? And I said, I'm from Pastor Weigel from Ocean County Baptist Church. We're in the area just inviting folks out to church, and, uh, and the girl looked at me. She said, this is a pagan household. I never had anybody say that. This is a pagan household. And it kind of set me back for a minute. I was like, okay, you know, you ever somebody says something, and you got to kind of reflect on and, and kind of let the thing work through your brain a little bit of how you're going to respond. And I said, well, okay. <laughs> I said, but I'm here to tell you there's a God in heaven who loves you. And he sent his son in this world to die for you. And, and uh, just kind of quickly share with about the love of Christ and gave her a flyer with a gospel on there and asked her to read through the back, invite her out to church. And that's about as far as we got. But I had 35 years of being a Christian, I've never had anybody say this is a pagan household. And, uh, and that was just right up the street here, folks, just right off Old Free Old Road. We're, we're living in America, a po we have become a post-Christian nation. And uh, folks that you knock on doors and you talk to people about Christ, they have no idea what you're talking about. Uh, 
Uh, they absolutely are not interested at all uh, because they're so consumed with everything that the world has them caught up in. But yet they can be saved through simple faith like the thief that was hanging on the cross. And we need to have faith to believe God that all things are possible to him that believeth. And so we need to have faith that is strong enough to believe God can still touch people's hearts and God can still change people's lives if we'll just believe him and share the good news with others. And so this thief, as he's hanging on the cross, just simply says to Jesus, Lord, remember me, will now comest into thy kingdom. Uh, Jesus at this point, we know, has been accused falsely and uh, he has certainly been interrogated um, by Pilate. He's been interrogated by the Sanhedrin. He's been falsely accused by witnesses that were brought in against him. Uh, he's been mocked. He's been ridiculed. Uh, he's been questioned. He's been beaten. Uh, now he is nailed on the cross. And as he's hanging on that cross, he is there for the express purpose of providing redemption for mankind. Now Jesus, the one who has the right to wear a royal crown, is wearing a crown of thorns. Uh, when he was in heaven, he was crowned with the glory of God. He was crowned uh, with the uh, worship of all the angels of heaven. But now he's on this earth and he's hanging on the cross. And the one who wears a royal crown is now wearing a thorny crown. He is the one who is the eternal judge. Genesis 18, 25 says, Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? He is the eternal judge, but now he is sitting under the judgment of man. And the judgment of man has condemned him to the death on the cross. He is the one who came to be the redeemer of mankind, but now he is verbally, physically, and very aggressively rejected as that redeemer. He came to his own, but his own received him not. And so the Redeemer is now rejected. And as he's hanging on this cross and he's suffering all the torment of the death by uh, hanging on the cross, this thief rails on him and mocks him and he's rebuked by the other thief and the other thief acknowledges the fact that he deserves the punishment that he's receiving. But wait a minute, don't you fear God? And he calls out to Christ and wants him to remember him when he comes into the kingdom. The response of Jesus is in verse 43. He says, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Very simplistic prayer, very simplistic faith that this thief on the cross uh, has. Uh, people over the years, I've had people say, Well, it just can't be that simple. Uh, well, it certainly was. I'm glad it was simple for the thief on the cross. He would have never got saved. And sometimes we want to muddy the water, so to speak. We don't make it difficult for people to get saved. But all we have to do is have faith to believe and call on the name of Jesus and we can be gloriously saved this morning. I want to think of some things about this thief. First of all, notice he reverenced God in his lost estate. In uh, verse 40, it says, but when the other answered, rebuked him, saying, Dost thou not fear God? The word fear in the scriptures carries with it the idea of meaning of reverence. He, dost, thou, dost not thou fear God, seeing that art in the same condemnation? And so here he is in his lost estate. He's completely has no control over his circumstances in his life. 
The, the experiences that he's going through as he's hanging on the cross, he is there because of the fact that he justly belongs there because of his crimes. And so he reverences God in his lost estate. Uh, well, I'm thankful that we can find in the scriptures that God can move in the life of people and when they're in a lost condition. In other words, God can bring conviction on someone when they're lost and they can respond to that conviction. You know, it was prayer that brought fear or reverence on the Babylonians. Back in the life of Daniel, we know Daniel was uh, carried off to captivity in Babylon. Uh, we know that the, the story of Daniel is one of really uh, uh, circumstances that were out of his control. Uh, we know that there was an image made that everyone had to bow down to, but Daniel continued to pray as he did uh, four times, three times a day with his windows being open. He did not hide his time of prayer. As a result of Daniel's uh, unwillingness to go along with what the trends of the world was, uh, he suffered. Uh, he was thrown into the lion's den. I, I saw an article yesterday uh, about Chick-fil-A opening up a uh, uh, store in uh, uh, Toronto, Canada, and uh, uh, all the L uh, LGBTQ, whatever the letters are, it goes along there, uh, were rioting and uh, were protesting the opening of this store because they, will, they said, we don't want hate in our city. And they're screaming obscenities and acting gross and immoral and attacking this, this store just because the fellow's a Christian and he holds the Christian values. If you, know, if you take a stand for God, just like in the days of Daniel, there will be consequences that you're going to have to overcome. But the question is simply this, can you have faith to believe in the midst of those consequences to trust God that he's still in control of all things? Prayer brought fear on the Babylonians because Daniel was thrown into the lion's den and God closed the, closed the mouth of the lions. And God delivered him out of, uh, of uh, the lion's den. And in Daniel chapter 6, in verse 26, after the king sees that Daniel was delivered, uh, it says this, I, I make a decree. This is King Darius. He said, I make a decree. Now, wait a minute. He already made a decree that everybody had to bow down and pray and worship the image that was erected. But Daniel suffered the consequences of being thrown into prison because he would not bow down to that image. He would not take on uh, the secular view of the, uh, in his life that was going on around him. And God delivered him. And now King Darius makes another decree. And it says this, that in every dominion of my kingdom, men tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. Literally, the thief on the cross is telling the other thief, you need to tremble, you need to fear and reverence to God who Jesus Christ is. And it goes on, it says this, for he, he's, this is why he made the decree, for he is the living God and steadfast forever and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed and his dominion shall uh, be even unto the end. 
See, Darius came to realize through the testimony of Daniel that the God of Daniel, irregardless of what was going on in society and in time at the, in, the, in the life of Daniel, God's, the God of Daniel still was strong enough in the midst of all those negative circumstances to be able to deliver Daniel out of the lion's den. And I just want you to know this morning we talk about the faith of a thief. This faith the thief had was had a deep reverence for God even in his lost estate. And uh, we need to instill on our society once again a fear in God. There is only one living God. And I, I saw that lady I talked to yesterday. She said this is a pagan household. That's worship of false gods. There's only one God. There's only one true God that loves man and provided a way for man to be saved. And that's the Jehovah God of heaven and the Lord Jesus Christ who came and died on the cross. And Daniel lived his life in a way that he prayed in a way that brought fear and trembling upon those who did not know the God of Daniel. And I believe with all my heart that we can instill fear and reverence in the hearts of others if we'll just simply, no matter what the circumstances are, be willing to live by faith and declare who Jesus Christ is. And so this thief hanging on the cross, suffering in his lost estate, uh, acknowledges the fact that, oh, wait a minute, this is the Son of God. I need to call on him and uh, trust him that he might remember me when he comes into his kingdom. So I see prayer brought fear on the Babylonians. I believe when we pray earnestly unto God, we can bring fear on this world in which we live. I really, I'm just really of the mindset that Christians need to be so fervent in prayer that the unsaved will tremble. I believe we ought to be so in tune with God and so close to God and walking with God that the unsaved feel a sense of fear and worriedness about who God is when we're, they are in our presence. I don't understand why we feel that we, we have to adapt to the world. We're supposed to impact the world for Christ. And so we're to live our life praying and believing in a spirit of fear and reverence to God so that it might be, bring fear and reverence of those in, that are lost and accepting Christ. So prayer brought fear on the Babylonians. Cornelius's fear of God brought a witness. In Acts chapter 10, you know, when, when, uh, if there is a fear or reverence of God, there is going to be a response or desire to know who God is. In Acts chapter 10, in verse 2, it says, in reference to Cornelius, so I'll read verse 1 along with it. There was a certain man of Caesarea called Cornelius a centurion of the band called the Italian band. And here it describes him. A devout man, one that feared God with all of his house, which gave much alms to people and prayed to God always. This is a man who is unsaved. This is a man who is without Christ. This is a man that the Bible declares was a good man. He was a devout man. He reverenced God. He gave alms. He was a giving man, a charitable man, 
And he was willing to pray to God always, but he was lost. And you know, you can have people who are praying who are lost. One lady, I knocked on a door yesterday, and I was, I was talking, went there to visit someone, and they weren't there. And, and uh, the lady told me, she said, she said, well, I just want you to know right up front, I'm, I'm Catholic. And I said, well, I just want you to know up front that the Lord loves you. <laughs> you know, and, he, and, uh, and she said this, she, she said, you know, actually, she said, you've interrupted me. I was praying. And I thought about that. How many times do we actually talk to people, knock on doors of people, and they're actually praying? And uh, I thought of this, of Cornelius. He was a devout man. He was a man that feared God. He was a man that was a generous man. He was a man who prayed, but he was lost. He had, he had no hope of eternal life. And he was caught up in his religion, but he feared God. And in verse 22 of Acts chapter 10, says, And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, and one that feareth God, and of a good report among all nations of the Jews, was warned from God by a holy angel to send for thee into his house and hear the words of thee. You know, God will respond to someone who is humble and someone who is willing to express faith. And Cornelius was a man who would fear God and pray to God. And as a result of it, God would take Peter, who was a Jew, and make him go completely against all of his customs that he was used to and send him into the house of a Gentile for only one reason. That there was a man there who feared God. There was a man there who reverenced God. He didn't know who he was. He didn't know how to be right with him, but he feared God, and God sent a witness over to his house. And it's an exciting thing to know that God will take and send people to the house of someone who's been praying. God will send people to a house of someone who fears God. And if Christians aren't obedient to the leading of God and the call of God and the direction of God in our life, we miss out on the opportunity to talk to those that are reverencing God in their lost estate. And so I just really believe that every soul-winning call that we make is by divine appointment. I believe that with all my heart. We just don't do it haphazardly. We just don't go out by chance. We don't, you just don't automatically uh, be able to, to have conversations with people. It is God directing you. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And so here was a uh, uh, man hanging on the cross, lost and condemned, and he reverences God. He fears God in his lost estate. And Daniel brings the Babylonians to a point of fearing God, and Cornelius ends up coming to know who Christ is because he feared God. And I just know this, there needs to be a fear of God's coming judgment. And God's judgment is coming. I'm praying about preaching a message on Bible prophecy coming up. And uh, uh, so you pray with me. I don't really feel confident in preaching that type of a message, but God's laid it on my heart, so I'm going to preach it anyway. Amen. But in Revelation chapter 14 and verse 6, and it says, I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God. 
That message is all the way through the scriptures. Fear God. Fear God. Saying, fear God and give glory to him. Why? Tells us, for the hour of his judgment is come. And worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. There is a message that rings out from heaven that is a message that God's judgment is coming. And God's judgment is coming on this world. I think it's just interesting to me. Everybody's talking about global warming. They're talking about climate change. They're talking about all this stuff. I'm going to tell you the biggest thing man needs to fear is not climate change. It's almighty God. That's what man needs to fear. Uh, you know, all this talk about recession coming and all this, that, and the other stock market's going to fall apart and you name it. They have fear mongers just stealing fear upon people. The thing people need to fear is not whether the stock market's going to crash. It's whether God's going to crash on this world that we live in. The judgment of God is coming. The reality is the rapture is going to take place and there'll be multitudes of thousands upon thousands of people that are going to be left behind and lost and condemned to hell because of God's judgment. The tribulation is about God's judgment, God's wrath on this earth. And yet we live our life as if it doesn't matter whether he comes or he doesn't come. We live our life like there's no reality of eternity. But this thief that was hanging on the cross, it was real to him. His life was coming to an end. He was hanging there because he was being judged for his wrong conduct. And he knew that he was going to have to come and face God Almighty. And his cry simply was, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. So he reverenced God in his lost estate. You know, here's a good quote for you I found. Only fear of God will not save you. You have to stop and think about that. Cornelius feared God, but it didn't save him. This man on the cross feared God, but it didn't save him. Only fear of God will not save you, but you will not get saved until you fear God. And as he's hanging on that cross and he's coming to a sense of realization that Jesus Christ is the Son of God hanging on the cross next to him, uh, he is so convicted in his spirit and in his reverence of God that he's acknowledging who Christ is. Uh, his fear of God didn't save him, but I'm going to tell you what, his fear caused him to call out to the one who could save him. And we need to be able to instill in people a fear of God that will cause them to get under conviction that they might come and receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. People, Christians live their life like it doesn't matter how you live. Christians live their lives with no fear of God whatsoever. You, know, you, you do realize this morning that every thought you have, God knows all about it. You do realize this morning that everything that you did this week in every moment of time this past week, God knows all about it. And you do understand that as a Christian, we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account of what we've done in our bodies, whether it be good or whether it be bad. That ought to create a fear in us. It ought to create in us a sense of awe. We walk past people who are lost and without hope 
and we say nothing to them at all, nothing whatsoever. How in the world could they ever develop a sense of fear or reverence to God if we as believers don't have a fear and reverence of who God is? And so I see he reverenced God in his lost estate. Second thing is in verse 41, he recognized the just payment for his sin. In verse 41, it says, And we indeed justly, for we received the due reward of our deeds, but this man hath done nothing amiss. As he talks to the other thief on the cross, he is acknowledging the fact that he transgressed the law. He was hanging there because he broke the law. Uh, no other reason he broke the law. And, I, it, you know, it's just interesting to me in America right now where we have this whole concept of uh, being anti-law, uh, anti-police officers and all this, that, and the other. I, I'm going to tell you, you want to try to live in a world that's under anarchy, you try that. You get rid of the police force. You get rid of the laws of the land. The problem in America is not that we need more laws. We just need to enforce the laws that we do have. But we won't enforce the laws that we have. And there's just an antagonistic thing. California just passed a thing where that uh, if a police officer needs your help, you can refuse to help the police officer and not be charged for refusing to help him. It's amazing. It's amazing the garbage that is going on. Uh, people get, get themselves in trouble, they get arrested, and then it's everybody else's fault. You break the law, it's your fault, and you're going to have to take care of it. I remember I was speeding, not me really, but anyway. <laughs> I was, this was years ago, I was driving bus, I was running a commuter bus from New York, and I had one of those old flexible buses, you probably don't even know what that is, but it's all right, and uh, giving you non-essential information. Uh, uh, so I was coming down New, uh, the New Jersey Turnpike, and the trucks were all jammed up and everything else, and buses aren't supposed to be in the left lane. And I said, man, i got to get around this stuff. I jumped out in the left lane, put the hammer down, and I was just going right on down there. And sure enough, sure enough, there was a state trooper there. What is he doing sitting there? <laughs> he comes and pulls me over. He said, you know why I pulled you over? I said, no. <laughs> he said, you are speeding. I said, I kind of thought that. I said, well, how fast was I going? He said, you were doing 75. I said, in this old junk bus, <laughs> this thing would go that fast? I said, hey, that's a pretty good feat, man. I appreciate that. And uh, he said, well, I'm going to give you a ticket. I said, well, what am I supposed to do? I can't argue with you. I was speeding. Give me the ticket. It's not his fault. It was my fault. And yet we act like every time someone transgresses the law, it's the law or the government or the officer's fault. It's not their fault. And this man hanging on the cross acknowledges the fact the reason why he is there is because he has broken the laws of the land. And so he has to suffer the consequences. So what does that mean to us? We have transgressed God's law. You say, well, what? people say, well, what kind of a loving God would send people to hell? I'll tell you what kind of loving God would send people to hell. A God who is a just God. 
who got a God who gave us his law, who God who requires of us to obey his law. In Romans chapter 3 and verse 19, it says, We know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. James 4.17 says, him to, know, to him to know to do good and doeth it not, to him is sin. James chapter 2 tells us that we violate one point of the law, we're guilty of the whole law. Revelation chapter 21, it goes through a whole list, a whole resume of sins that will send people to hell. And it, it includes in there, and all liars. I tell you, this is a serious thing. This, this thief hanging on the cross has more wisdom than a multitude of Christians. Because he is willing to acknowledge his transgression of the law. And because he broke the law, he's liable for it. And we as believers, when we transgress against God's law, we need someone to be our redeemer because of the fact God is just in bringing judgment upon us. So he transgressed the law. I need to hurry up here. He was condemned because of the fact that he was broke the law. He was condemned to hang on the cross and uh, suffer punishment by death. We all are condemned. You know, when John chapter 3 and verse 18 tells us that clearly man doesn't have to wait till he dies to be condemned. Man who is without Jesus Christ is condemned already. And it's not a matter of saying, well, you, when you die, you're going to have to suffer the torments of hell. Right now, you're suffering the torments of hell. You're just not in that place yet. And so we are condemned. This man had no means of escape, no means of being able to get off of the cross because of his transgression of the law, he was condemned to suffer this death. He was dying a tormented death. He was dying a tormented death. And uh, it was not a pleasant way to be executed. Uh, matter of fact, as you, on, when you hung on the cross, it was a death by suffocation. Because as you would hang on the cross, the weight of your body would hang down to the point to where the weight would actually uh, block your lungs so you could not get any air. And that's why they would break the legs of uh, the prisoners late in the afternoon because that way they couldn't push themselves up the gas for some air. And so if they weren't dead when they were supposed to be, they would break their legs and that way they would just hang and they would suffocate. Literally, their lungs would fill up with fluids. Literally, they would, they would gasp for air. It was a, a death that was tormented. The lost are tormented in death. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 14 says, In death and hell were cast in a lake of fire. This is a second death. And whosoever is not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. And so without Christ as our Savior, the only thing that you have to look forward to and I can't say it's looking forward to it, but the only thing you're going to experience for eternity is not just the suffering of death, but eternal suffering in hell. Mark chapter 9 and verse 43, Mark chapter 9 and verse 43, 
tells us, and if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It's better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands and go into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. If thy foot offend thee, cut it off. For it is better for thee to enter into uh, enter halt into life than to have two feet and to be cast into hell into the fire that never shall be quenched where the worm dieth not, uh, not and the fire is not quenched. If thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes and be cast into hell fire where the worm dieth not. And the fire is not quenched. The lost are tormented in hell. It's a suffering of the consequences of sin in man's life. Thy hand, first of all, he says, of thy hand offend thee. Where, and he says three times, where the worm dieth not. What I understand about that, where the worm dieth not, it means the remembrance the torment of the memory over and over and over again. So in other words, uh, whatever you've done with your hand in hell, you'll never forget the harm that you did with your hands. Your feet, whatever you've done with your feet, you'll always remember where you went, what you did, how you defiled yourself. You'll never forget. With your eyes, what you watched, what you see, what you put in front of the eye gate, you die without Christ and you go to hell. You'll always remember. You'll never, you'll never forget what you see, where you go, what you did. And then on top of all that, there'll be an unquenchable fire of hell that'll be burning forever and ever and ever and ever. I, I, was listen, I was, saw this thing the other day about this vaping. This vaping is killing our kids. And you parents need to be on top of this. Oh, uh, thumb drives. Looks like a thumb drive for your computer. It's a vaping thing. A little, little plug like this that plugs in, kind of like if you have a wireless mouse and you plug that in the side of your computer, that little thing is a vaping instrument. It contains the nicotine of one pack of cigarettes. And on average, kids, teenagers, are doing three of them a day. I'm telling you, the, world, the devil is slick in how he is destroying mankind. And believers in 2019, now we're getting close to 2020, better open up their eyes and realize the consequences of what we see the consequences of where we go, the consequences of what we do, because it will end in hellfire. And so this thief hanging on the cross was willing to recognize the payment, the justice of his suffering because of what he had done in his life. However, he has faith to cry out to the Lord, remember me, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Notice he, he had reverenced God in his lost estate. He recognized the just payment for his sin. He repented of his sins in verse 42. 
And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. The reason why he's calling out to Jesus is there's only one person to look to. As he's hanging on the cross, there's nobody else he can look to. There's no one else he can trust. We're supposed to look unto Jesus, the author and the finish of our faith. And so he's looking unto Jesus. The problem is this. The other thief had no answer for his plight. The crowd that was watching him died had no hope for his plight. There was only one place to turn to or one person to turn to, and that was Jesus Christ. And there's only one person that we can turn to to get the answers for the problems and the difficulties in our life, and that's Jesus Christ. The only hope for people that are around us and live in our neighborhoods that are without Christ is Jesus Christ. So only one person to look to. He only had one action to be taken. He said, Lord, remember me when thou comest in thy kingdom. He couldn't do anything else. He's nailed to the cross. He's condemned until he dies. John 1.12 says, But as many as received him to them, gave you the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. What made a difference in his life was that he did the one thing, the one thing that could deliver him in his circumstances. Thou shalt call upon the name of the Lord, thou shalt be saved. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. He did the one thing that was possible to be able to deliver him from the torments that he was facing. And that was he turned to Christ. He, listen, he could not do any physical work. He could not offer any financial payment. He could not bring any sacrifice to the priest. The only thing that he could do was call on the Lord and believe on Christ. Amen. And he only had one location to gain or lose. John 14, 1, Jesus said, I go to prepare. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. This man had one place to gain or lose, and that was heaven. Either he was going to go to heaven or he was going to go to hell. Uh, and this man had faith to repent of his sins and call on the Lord and desire of him to remember him. And the, he received an immediate answer. In verse 43, it says, And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. I am thankful that there was a cry for forgiveness. And when Jesus hung on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. It was a cry for forgiveness because of the fact that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It was a cry for forgiveness in Psalm 18 and 6. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. I cried unto my God and my, he heard my voice into his temple. He says his cry came literally into the ears of God. And as this thief is hanging on the cross, he's doing one thing, asking for one answer from Christ. Will you remember me when you come into thy kingdom? Amen. And Jesus said, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. I'm glad he didn't say, well, you need to be baptized. I'm glad he didn't say you need to be baptized and join a Baptist church and start tithing. 
I'm glad he didn't put all kinds of disclaimers on how he could get delivered. He just told him, he said, today, immediate response. Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. There was a confidence of God's response. Jesus said, all that come unto me, I will in no wise cast off. You know, I've had people over the years say, well, you know, God couldn't save me. Well, you're not, you're right. He's not going to save you if you don't have confidence to believe. You don't have faith to believe. Jesus is the one that said that if you'll come to him, he won't cast you away. And so uh, there's a confidence in God's response. And then there's a conscience. He was conscious of immediate opportunity. In other words, as he was hanging on the cross, that literally uh, Jesus would respond to him uh, without delay. In Second uh, uh, Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2, it says, For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted. In the day of salvation have I secured thee. Behold, now is accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. That person you love, friends with, family, whoever it is, now's the time for salvation. We have no, no time to delay. There needs to be a sense of urgency. This thief hanging on the cross, I'm telling you right away, he needed something done right away. It was only a matter of few moments and his life would be gone. And he needed something to happen immediately. He needed the opportunity immediately. And listen, there's people we come in contact with that need right at that moment. We're talking to them about whatever it is we're talking to them about. At that very moment is your opportunity to be able to show to them how they can be saved and how they can be delivered. You know, it's getting harder and harder to talk to people one-on-one. -on -one. You go out and you got whole neighborhoods with do not knock things on their door. Uh, you go in the neighborhoods, do not solicit. You can't go in there because it's private property. You have all kinds of restrictions and blockages for you to be able to get to these different people. Uh, I just am saying this. If you live in a neighborhood like that, you're a part of that community, that's your soul winning field. Get to know your neighbors. Talk to your neighbors. Share with your neighbors who Christ is. Every opportunity you come in contact with them is an opportunity for them to be able to reverence God in their lost estate, recognize the just payment for their sin, repent of that sin, and receive an answer from God immediately they can be saved. And you can win more people to the Lord by developing a relationship with them where they know you and they watch you and they understand who you are, they're going to respond to you a lot quicker and a lot easier than somebody who absolutely has no contact with them, has absolutely no awareness of who they are, and you walk up and knock on a door. You know, I, I was out so winning yesterday. I knocked on one house and it was a Spanish-speaking house, and and I had to get tickled because I was a the children wouldn't respond to me outside. They act like they couldn't understand me. They could. And then the mother came to the door. I talked to her. And I said, look, I'm Pastor Wagle. I'd like to invite you out to church. And she told me, he said, no English. Speak Spanish. And I looked at her. I said, yeah. I smiled. I said, I know. And I said, you know everything I'm saying. 
And she started laughing, you know. <laughs> so I said, look, here it is. You need to have this track. You need to come out to our church. We have something for the kids and just trying to break down those barriers. We have so many barriers. And I just thought when I walked away from the house, I thought, how many Christians live in that neighborhood? How many Christians live in that neighborhood that could develop a relationship and a friendship with those folks? To where that barrier could be broken down so that you could talk to them and share with them who Jesus Christ is. I'm telling you, this soul winning stuff, this getting people saved, getting people to know who Christ is, is really becoming a, a, a hard effort to, to accomplish because all that the world has become and all the insecurities and all the anxieties and all the distrust and everything else that goes on. Jesus is hanging on the cross because they didn't trust him. They're, Jesus is hanging on the cross because they despised his message. Jesus is hanging on the cross because the, the revelation he gave to mankind uh, violated man's religions and uh, developed a relationship with the living God. He's hanging on the cross, but there's one who is hanging next to him, who feared God, who was willing to recognize that it was just his payment he was receiving and he wanted to repent of his sin. And all he could do was look to Jesus Christ. And the opportunity was there. It was fresh. It was immediate. And he got saved. Let's not make it complicated, folks. The thief on the cross could have faith to believe to save his soul. And your neighbor can have faith to believe to save his soul. Your family can have faith. Believe to people. I've, done, I've had people over the years say, "Well, you just don't understand. My family will never get saved." Well, I'm going to tell you something right now. I wasn't interested in any salvation. wasn't interested in going to church. I wasn't interested. Certainly, wasn't interested in going into full time ministry and all this, that, and the other. But I'm going to tell you, when God was presented in a clear way, salvation was revealed to me that it was real. It was sincere. It was a way of getting the love of God and the forgiveness of God. It was a natural response, and with the conviction of the Holy Spirit on you. And if God can save you, he can save everybody else around you. We just need to tell them about who Christ is. We need to love them. We need to pray for them. The prayer of Daniel, the prayer of Cornelius, the prayer of Peter, the prayer of Paul made a difference in the world in which they lived. And I just know this, that God can use us to make a difference in the world in which we live. There are people who want to know, how can I be saved? How can I know God? How can I get this messed up life that I have straightened out? And it's all coming to faith in Christ and Christ alone. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. It's a joy to be in church and be able to be with God's people, be able to read the word of God, to be able to sing songs. But help us, Lord, to have a real compassionate heart a real tenderness and a brokenness, Lord, for those who need to hear about Christ. This thief, he responded with simple faith. The other rejected, the other mocked, the other refused. One went to heaven, one went to hell. But it was the same Savior that was hanging between them. 
And so help us, Lord, to point people to Jesus. Help us have faith to believe that God can save folks. And I pray, Lord, you'd help us to have faith that increases day by day. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.